evidence and answers. Isn't the Bible simply a human book created by human authors? Hasn't history and science proven the Bible to be a collection of myths and legends? Can I really take the Bible stories literally? And how does it compare with other religious texts? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today we'll be listening to a message that was taken from our 2020 Evian Youth Apologetics Conference. Annually, Pat brings in guest speakers from all over to teach and equip the youth of today. Now, here's our host, Pat Zukran as he presents the case for the divine inspiration and authority of the Bible. That tiny nation of Israel, why is it in the headlines all the time? Huh? Just a tiny little nation in the Middle East. Well, there's biblical, historical significance in God's plan to redeem the world. If you go to Israel today, this is the eastern gate, the eastern gate over there. Ezekiel chapter 44 says that the eastern gate shall remain shut until the return of Christ. And there's the eastern gate. And what do you see? It's shut. It is sealed shut by the Suleiman the Great, the Muslim ruler who came and shut the eastern gate. So when you go to Israel today, this is you know, a picture I took. You go to Israel today, that's what you're going to see. The eastern gate, it's shut. Living testimony to the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. By the way, those white stones over there, what is that? You know, any guesses? It's a graveyard. It's a Muslim graveyard. Why did the Muslims put a graveyard in front of the Eastern Gate? Well, it's to block the Messiah from coming in to Jerusalem. There are over a hundred prophecies made of Christ hundreds of years before he set foot upon the earth. The Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy is a great resource for you there, and Christ fulfilled each one. Is truly amazing where he would be born, who his ancestors would be, how he would die, what kind of ministry he would have, that he would be betrayed by a friend for exactly 30 pieces of silver. Truly amazing. How many prophecies are there of the coming of the prophet Muhammad? Zero. The coming of Confucius or Buddha? Zero. You have over a hundred of Christ that he fulfilled. No book has a legacy of prophecy like the Bible. No book comes even close. None. Now, when I'm on the university campuses, people say, Nostradamus, Nostradamus. He predicted the Twin Towers. He predicted Hitler. He predicted all this. He didn't predict anything. Read his stuff. There you go. This is the prophecy of Adolf Hitler, the coming of Adolf Hitler. Read that one. Where do you find Hitler? Anybody? Hitler? Adolf Hitler. Huh? Pretty hard to find, huh? It's the word Easter there, okay, because they say it sounds like Hitler. But if you read this in its context, it's not talking about Adolf Hitler at all. It's talking about the river Easter, which is the lower Danube, okay? Even Nostradamus scholars, like Ray Comfort here, says that, all right? And remember, Bible prophecy has to be 100% accurate. The guy's got to bat a 1,000. Can't be wrong. Nostradamus has a lot of false prophecies in there that didn't come true. One of his most famous ones, that uh, July of 1999 would be the end of the world. Well, July 1999 came and went. One of many of the failed prophecies of Nostradamus. There's no book like the Bible that has a legacy 
of prophecy like the Bible. Then we come to archaeology, all right? Now, like I said earlier, I'm throwing you a lot of information. I don't expect you to get it all. Just sit back and enjoy. I just want you to see how much compelling evidence there is for the Bible. Now, archaeology is important because of this. The Bible claims to be a historical book of real-life people, of events that occurred in real-time history. Unlike any of the other religious books, we know that they're fairy tales or legends. But the Bible is a, uniquely a historical book telling of God's actions upon the earth. So there should be historical evidence of that. Well, is there? You bet. Dr. William Albright, the father of modern biblical archaeology, says this, there can be no doubt that archaeology has confirmed the substantial historical accuracy of the Old Testament. In fact, there's no book that has so much archaeological confirmation as the Bible. There isn't any. How much archaeology do we have to confirm the historical stories of the Quran? Zero. Zero. All right? But of the Bible, there are now over uh, literally hundreds of thousands of archaeological discoveries related to biblical places, people, and events. And we just keep finding more and more and more as we go. It's just truly amazing. When I was in college and high school, they said there's no archaeology that confirms biblical history. Well, now that I'm in a doctoral program, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands. Okay, okay. Once again, we can stay here all day, but we'll just go through a few. The Hittites, all right? They're mentioned in Genesis 15 and 1 Kings. They're a powerful warrior nation that battled Israel, okay, for many years. Now, for centuries, people thought the Hittites were just a mythological, legendary group of people because we've never found them. However, in the uh, 1890s, archaeologists were excavating in the area of southern Turkey, northern Iraq, and they came upon a great city, all right? And they began excavating, and they ended up finding the royal library of that city. And they found in there 17,000 ancient tablets like this, right? 17,000. And when they translated them, guess what? They had discovered the capital of the Hittite Empire. The capital city was Hattusas. And they had discovered the Hittites. And now numerous archaeological discoveries have been made of this great city. The people that were once thought mythological were indeed found to be historical. By the way, many people wonder where the Asians, if there are Asians mentioned in the Bible. If you look at the Hittites here, the chariots, the armor that they have, the ponytail, the curved shoes, that's very similar to the terracotta warriors in China, isn't it? Many scholars are beginning to think the Hittites are the ancient forerunners of the Chinese and the Asian people. King David, for centuries, people thought, you know, the guy that killed the giant, he's simply a fairy tale, all right? Why? Well, because here's the greatest of the kings of Israel, the one who begins the Israeli monarchy, and we've never found any archaeological evidence outside the Bible for King David. All right, isn't that strange? The ruler of one of the great empires of Israel, the founder of the dynasty, and there's nothing written about him, nothing outside of the Bible. In the early 1990s, we were digging up in northern Israel, and we discovered this big basalt. It's called a stele or a plaque that sits over governmental buildings. 
There are Aramaic inscriptions in there that we could still read. It was just truly ama- an amazing discovery. And we discovered that this plaque was built and put up about 900 B.C., about 100 years after King David. And it was put up by Haziel of Damascus, recorded in 1 Kings 15, verse 9, of his invasion of the land of Israel. This was truly a stunning discovery. It turned the Middle Eastern archaeological world completely upside down. Because what did we find? He writes there of his victories over the kings of Israel. And he said, I killed Jehoram, son of Ahab, king of Israel. And I killed Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, king of the house of David. Here we have an enemy of Israel who acknowledged King David. And that the kings that come in the line of, of Israel are from the house of David. All right, this is truly a stunning discovery that turned the Middle Eastern world just upside down. Here's another one. You know, the miracle story of uh, the deliverance of Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 19, Sennacherib comes to invade Israel with his huge, huge Assyrian army of several hundred thousand men. They capture the northern cities of Israel and deport the people, and they come and surround the city of Jerusalem. Okay, if you remember that story. And Hezekiah, the righteous king, prays that night. And Isaiah the prophet comes and says, Tomorrow at this time, the city will be delivered. And it says, That night the angel of the Lord went into the Syrian camp and killed okay, over 185,000 men. The next day, the Assyrians saw thousands of their dead soldiers, and they fled back to Nineveh. And Sennacherib returned home, and he was assassinated by his sons. Now, many thought that was simply a fairy tale or a mythology. Then, in the late 1800s, we discovered what's called Sennacherib's prism. Okay, these octagon clay tablets, and we translated them, and they record the history of the Assyrian kings, especially Sennacherib. And what did we discover? Well, we discovered his invasion of Israel, okay? And it matches the account written in 2 Kings, how he attacked the cities of Israel and deported thousands of the people. And he talks about King Hezekiah. We found out, guess what? Hezekiah is not a mythological person. He's a real historical person because here's an enemy that says, I attacked Israel, and King Hezekiah was the king at that time. Now, he talks about his siege of Jerusalem, and he says, Hezekiah himself, like a caged bird, I shut him up in Jerusalem, his royal city. He talks about surrounding the royal city, but what's strange, he never mentions capturing the city or Hezekiah, which is what Assyrians do, right? They capture, they burn the city to the ground, they deport the king, or they kill the king. Never mentions capturing Hezekiah or Jerusalem. He returns home suddenly, and he's assassinated by his sons. Why doesn't he record capturing the city? Well, because he never did, just as the Bible records. Now, why doesn't he record that he lost 185,000 men? Oh, back then, kings don't do that at that time. They're not going to write, I wrote to Israel, man, I got my butt kicked. Okay, they're not going to record that kind of stuff. He just suddenly returns home, never capturing Hezekiah or the city, consistent as the Bible records. Here, when you go to northern Israel in Caesarea, there's a great hippodrome here where they do the uh, chariot races, and then a great amphitheater up there, uh, spectacular buildings 
built here. Well, who built all this? Well, we discovered in 1961, guess who built it? Pontius Pilate. His plaque was there, okay? The Pontius Pilate plaque, still written in Greek. You could still read it. Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea, has dedicated to the people of Caesarea a temple in honor of the emperor Tiberius, just as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Here's another interesting one. The Herodium, King Herod. You know King Herod the Great, guy that killed the children in Bethlehem trying to, you know, assassinate Jesus. Well, we discovered, okay, that he was a great builder. And this is the Herodium. And this is an artificial mountain that he built. It's a huge mountain he built. And from the top, you can see, you know, pretty much most of Jerusalem and southern Israel. Incredible. With no bulldozers and the technology we have today, he built this huge artificial mountain and his Herodium. In 2007, guess what we found? His sarcophagus. There it is, okay? Smashed to pieces, all right? Because he was hated by the Jews. There we found his sarcophagus. So we can go on and on and on, just thousands, literally thousands of archaeological discoveries confirming the historical accuracy of the Bible. Then we have the confirmation of science. Now remember, the Bible is not a scientific book, okay? It's written pre-science. Modern science we have is relatively modern, okay? Just a couple hundred years old. But when the Bible speaks about the created order, what it says is indeed true, which science has confirmed, that the universe has a beginning for nearly 300 years, all right? Scientists thought the universe was eternal, and the Darwinists loved it because it gave the Darwinian evolutionary process maybe a chance, an eternal universe, endless time for chance and natural causes maybe to form life. Well, what have we discovered? The universe has a beginning. Science is unanimous on that now. It's called the Big Bang. And atheism is in big trouble now because whatever has a beginning must have a cause. The universe has a beginning. The universe must have a cause. Law of cause and effect. Every cause has an effect. Every effect has a cause. No effect is greater than its cause. Whatever caused the universe is greater than the universe. It willed it into being. It brought time into being. It's greater than time. It created a tremendous design. Man, Genesis 1-1, the God of Genesis 1-1 seems to be the most reasonable candidate. That the universe has expanded. Edwin Hubble with a red shift discovered what? Our universe is expanding. That the earth is round. Hey, the Greeks thought that the earth was flat, like a plate and arrested on water. That the earth hangs in space all by itself. The Greeks thought that the earth was flat or that there's a very large man who held up the earth. His name is Atlas. Yeah. Indians thought that the earth rested on the back of two giant turtles. The Bible taught the earth hangs in space all by itself. The universe, not just our galaxy, the universe is custom made for human life upon this planet. The anthropic principle, one of the hottest ideas in science today, the anthropic principle. That the sea has paths, that it has channels, the hydraulic cycle that many of you studied in high school. That the basic forms of life all began at once. Genesis 1, he created each according to its kind. We call this 
the Cambrian explosion. The basic life forms suddenly appear in the fossil record. Boom. We can even use the evolutionist dates if you want. 500 million years ago, boom, all the species suddenly appear in full form, and they haven't changed since. Sounds more like Genesis chapter 1. He created each according to their kind. And finally, has the Bible been accurately preserved? Many argue, well, you know, the Bible wasn't written until hundreds of years after Jesus. Things were passed down orally, and as they get passed down, Facts get changed. Feeding of the five turned into 50, turned into 500, turned into 5,000 until finally someone wrote it down. These stories have been edited and changed. Well, how do we know that they have been accurately preserved? Well, that's where you look at the manuscripts. Now, how accurate has the Bible been preserved? Has it been changed over the centuries? Well, you have to look at how many ancient manuscripts do we have to compare with, and how old are they? Now, the more manuscripts you have, the more accurate you're going to be. For example, if I tell Chris here, man and handsome man in black, if I tell him, Chris, here's my notes. Take notes word for word. Make an accurate, as accurate a copy as you can. Now, the copy he makes, will there be a few mistakes? Yeah, there might be a few mistakes, but overall, it'll be pretty accurate. But if I gave everyone a copy of my notes and I said, everybody in here, make a copy. And when we're all done, you give it to Chris. And Chris will compare everyone's notes and produce a final copy of Pat's notes. Which one would be the most accurate? Chris all by himself or everyone taking notes and then Chris sitting over there with a group comparing the notes? Which one would be more accurate? The second one, right? Why? Because you have other copies to test. Okay? If two people say, Pat said there are no prophecies in the Bible and the other hundred of you say, Pat said there are prophecies in the Bible. You can figure out where the error is. How many manuscripts do you have? And how old are they? Well, when it comes to the New Testament, we have over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts from which we can compare and see how accurate they are. From all over the Mediterranean, we have papyrus and parchment fragments. We have ancient versions, Coptic, Latin, Syriac, Greek, we have quotes from the church fathers. The early church fathers quote every, you know, in the first 300 years, they quote every verse of the New Testament except for 11. So we can reconstruct the New Testament just from the writings of the ancient church fathers. So in all, we have over 24,000 manuscripts from which to compare. And when you got that many manuscripts, guess what? You can be pretty accurate to the original. What's the date? Well, the oldest New Testament manuscript is written 25 years after the Apostle John. We have over 5,000. And that's just the Greek manuscripts, okay? Now, the stuff we read in high school and college, they're considered historically accurate. How many manuscripts do we have of Plato? Well, we've only got seven. And the earliest one is 1,200 years after the life of Plato. No comparison to Julius Caesar. What historian doubts the events and life of Julius Caesar? Well, how many manuscripts do we have of his life? Only 10. And they're partial fragments. Earliest one is a 1,000 years after the life of Julius Caesar. No comparison to the Bible. What about the Old Testament? What about the Old Testament? Old Testament's a little bit harder. We don't have as many manuscripts because once they got old, they were ceremonially burned or buried. 
but how do we know our Old Testament has been accurately preserved? Well, we know that the scribes copied with tremendous care. They had to do a ceremonial washing every time the name of God came about. They had to count every letter that they wrote. Now, the oldest Old Testament we have, which is your Old Testament, it's called the Masoretic Text. It's written in Hebrew. It's dated 900 A.D. And we were wondering just how accurate it really is. Well, we were able to test it when in 1947 we discovered the greatest manuscript discovery in the history of the world, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Here along the Dead Sea are these caves. Now, the Masoretes are a group of monks. They left Jerusalem in about 100 B.C. because of the corruption at the Jerusalem temple, just as recorded in the Gospel of John. And they were in the desert, living as monks, copying the Old Testament, waiting for the Messiah to come. Because they knew, according to the prophecy of Daniel 9, the Messiah was around the corner. All right, so they were out there. Well, Jesus came and went, and then the war with the Romans broke out. And in 66 AD, they hid their scrolls in jars in these caves along the Dead Sea, which you can go and visit. They weren't discovered until almost 1,900 years later when we made the greatest discovery, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dozens and dozens and dozens of jars with hundreds of fragments were discovered. Copies of the Old Testament and other theological works okay, were discovered. Every book of the Bible was found except for the book of Esther. Now we can compare. They were dated to about 100 B.C. or even earlier. Now there's a thousand-year gap between our Old Testament and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we match those scrolls up. The scroll of Isaiah, we have the entire book of Isaiah on a scroll. We matched it up with our Bible, and guess what? They're pretty much identical. The differences had to do with spelling and some grammar and some scribal notes. Otherwise, they were dead on identical, showing our Old Testament has been very accurately preserved as well. So what do we learn from this? All the evidence shows that the Bible is the unique, divinely inspired Word of God, the only one confirmed by miraculous confirmation. It has been given to us faithfully preserved and accurately handed down to us. It's the only book with supernatural confirmation. Since the Bible alone is the divinely inspired Word of God, the evidence is behind it, what it teaches is true. And whatever contradicts the Bible must obviously be false. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. When we breathe on a mirror, we get fog. When God breathed, we got the Bible. This is indeed the inspired word of God. It's got incredible promises for you. You want to know your mission in life? You want to know God's calling on your life? It's found, this is your guide right here the Bible, the Word of God. But the Bible is not just meant to be intellectually studied. It's meant to be applied and transform your life and experience. Man, when you apply the Bible to your life and you see its principles are true and they play out in real life, this book literally comes alive. It literally comes alive. That's why Hebrews 4.12 calls this the living Word of God. It's meant to be applied and transform your life. Well, I know we went through a lot of information. I just want to expose you to the compelling, powerful evidence we have for the truth of God's Word. 
right? You want to read about it? We've got a great book over there, Unless I See, and other resources for you there as well. You can go to our website at evidenceandanswers.org. You want to study this kind of stuff in college? We have Pac Rim University people here where you can study this kind of stuff. A lot of resources for you out there, all right? So the Bible is indeed the inspired Word of God. Study it, apply it, let it transform your life and experience the joy and fulfill the mission and the calling that God has for your life, all right? We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website, once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucker. Yeah.